It's season two of Where You Are, a podcast that helps families and their children promote their mental health and wellness. I'm Michelle Horn. And co-hosting with me today is Bryn Asquith, one of our health literacy project managers at BC Children's Hospital and also the producer for this podcast. Hi, Michelle. I'm really excited to be here to dive into the topic of healthy eating and mental health. Today, we got to speak to a dietitian and also a parent who offers up their lived experience. I have to say, she opened my mind when she talked about the connection between food and mental health. What opened your mind? In our household, we always talk about the benefits of food and how it impacts physical health. But then when she talked about being hangry, that really resonated with me because we talk about that with my two younger kids all the time. I think we actually even added a new word. We came up with tigery, a combination between tired and hungry. It really reminds you that food can impact mood. Totally. And I think what stuck out for me was I think mealtimes can be such a stressful experience for lots of parents. And both of our guests outlined this really different, newer approach that can really help to minimize that stress around mealtimes. Let's have a listen to that conversation. Joining us today is Lori Chow, a dietitian from BC Children's Hospital's Healthy Mind Center, who talks to families all the time about healthy eating and food. Hi, thanks for having me. And we also have Char Black, who some of our listeners might know from season one as one of our co-hosts. She's joining us while on her maternity leave. Hi, everyone. I brought my seven-month-old with me today, so I'm excited to see everyone again. Nice to see you again. And Char, how does it feel being in the hot seat as opposed to the hosting seat? It feels good being on this side. (laughs) Yeah. Then I can just say whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) By all means, that's what we're hoping for today. (laughs) Absolutely. Can you start off by telling us why it's important for you to be here talking with us about healthy eating and your family's mental health? Eating has been an important thing of my life as I was growing up. It was a really important part of celebrations, and it was a way of showing how family loved one another, like cooking and eating together. And then when I started with mental health literacy, I learned more about the relationship between eating and mental health. And when I had two kids, I really wanted to apply these theories and research around what can actually happen in someone's household and in real life. I think that a lot of parents know about the physical health benefits of healthy eating. So Laurie, can you speak a little bit about how you would describe the relationship between healthy eating and mental health? Mental health can be impacted by nutrition in a number of ways. It can help with regulating our energy levels. It can help with mood. It can help with school performance. I mean, I think all of us could probably understand what it's like to be hangry when we haven't had any nutrition for too long. And so our kids present with meltdowns or anger. I just wanted to jump in, actually, because Mm -hmm. at home we talk about the connection between physical and mental health eating well and how that impacts our physical health. I talk about how that gives us energy and that allows us to go run outside for an hour or go biking and the physical activity itself then improves our moods. And it is nice when you start having those conversations with your kids because then they start to recognize that, right? Like I've had my three or five-year-old come up to me and be like, mom, I'm starting to get hangry, feed me. (laughs) But they start to recognize that it's impacting their mood or their energy. Sure. just if you want to tell us a little bit about your family's food habits in your home, what's it like now? So I have a three and a half-year-old, a very passionate eater, and then I have a seven-month girl who's a very passive and agreeable eater. So it's very different eating styles. My three and a half year old loves 
salad and cake. So those are a lot of combinations <laughs> that we have uh, in mealtimes. And he is super messy, but he just eats everything and loves everything. My little girl is just starting solids because she has now one tooth only. <laughs> so, but we all eat the same thing. So that's kind of been very important to me around sitting together, eating together, everyone staying at the table until everyone's done and everyone trying everything that we have, a little bit of everything. It's been fun. Laurie Shars talked a bit about what meal times look like in her home and some of the strategies that her family uses. We know that for a lot of families, meal times can be a big struggle. There can be picky eating, power struggles over food, parents are busy, it can be hard to get those family mealtimes in. Mm -hmm. What are some strategies that you would suggest to parents to make mealtimes less stressful and more enjoyable? We always talk about the division of responsibility in feeding, and that's something that has come from a woman named Ellen Satter's work. And she was a family therapist and a dietitian, and she did a lot of research and work around how we can build relationships with children through food. So what the division of responsibility is, is the caregivers are responsible for what food is on the table, when the food is put on the table, and where. Maybe it's in the living room, wherever your family chooses to have their family meals. And then the child's responsibility is to eat the food or to not eat the food, and then they decide how much of that food. And so when we have this division of responsibility, then it takes away a lot of the stress of mealtimes. Like your, your responsibility as a caregiver isn't to make sure that your child is eating the vegetables that are on their plate. Your responsibility is to have the vegetables there, and then your child can decide whether or not they're going to try those or eat those today or tomorrow or maybe next month. <laughs> whatever ends up happening. Just make sure that there's something at the table that they would eat. And then eventually they'll start picking up and eating the different foods that are they're provided, it, but it can take a very long time. As a dietitian, Ellen Satter is our guru on feeding. She She's given us all the tools that we use to help families have nice meal times and healthy meal times together. I think that she was here a few years ago and I ended up getting some of the brochures and I just had them at my house and I've definitely handed them out to like parents that have come over for play dates when they, you know, complain about their kids and how they're picky eaters. I got to go and see her and it was like a rock star <laughs> being at a concert. There are so many dietitians there. Did you get her signature? I didn't, but I got to see her <laughs> and it was an amazing experience. <laughs> And with that approach, I can see that helping with some of those power struggles that might happen around yeah. food at the table. Yeah. And so there's a, I mean, something that always ends up happening at my table is these are the options that are provided. You can choose to eat them or you can choose not to eat them. Like it's totally up to you. And then you move on. And trying to keep your tone really neutral. We don't want big cheering sections for when somebody tries something new. We don't want any negative if they're not trying something, which I say is very hard to do, but the more neutral you can be, the better. Sure. Does any of that resonate for you? Yeah, because there's been times where my older son just decides he's like, we're eating this. I don't want this. In the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, do I cook something else? Do I grab something out of the fridge? Like, even though I'm totally on board, I'm still kind of like, oh, are you going to just not eat and be super hungry and wake up in the middle of the night. And, but so there's been times where he's just like melted down and got up and left the table. And I've said, this is what we're eating. If you do want to eat, it'd be very nice for you to come back and eat what you'd like. But this is the only option. 
you don't get any other food until tomorrow. So I like to remind him when the next time he's going to be able to eat is. And so usually, I'd say 99% of the time, he has come back. Wait them out. <laughs> Wait totally. them out. And, it's, and, they, and they're waiting to see your reaction as well, yes. too, right? Yeah. Like my kids do that as well. And I, the funniest is when uh, they'll say, I, I really don't like this. Like, I hate this food. I'm never going to eat it. And then 10 minutes later, they're eating it going, I love this. This is my favorite meal. <laughs> Show your kids how you enjoy eating those foods. Like, oh, the broccoli's really delicious tonight. They don't have to eat any if they don't want to. I think that's a big shift Yes. For, for parents. Yeah, yeah, it's a big change from yeah. what we grew up with. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good point. And I think Char's little one agrees. I can hear her over there. Yeah. She, she <laughs> wants to jump in. She, I think she knew I wanted to jump in. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Char, what would you like to jump in with? Well, I just wanted to comment on what Lori was talking about in terms of division and responsibility. And I really try to do that at home. And I agree that it reduces my stress level because I give a carb, I give a vegetable, I give a fruit, I give a protein, and whatever they decide to eat is what they're going to eat, and that's fine. But I found some difficulties in that when my older son is trying to have dinner, for example, and there are other kids around, and they decide to be like not eating or kind of jump off the table and start playing, I'm not sure if I need to force him to eat something or not because clearly it's not related to him deciding on what he wants to eat. He wants to do something else. Normally I say if it's something that happens all the time, like it's a regular occurrence, you have a cousin coming over, they spend every Friday night with you, then the rules in your house apply to the cousin of staying at the table until it's time to get up. And if it's a one-off, there's probably no way you're going to get your child up to the table to concentrate on eating that food. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So just like let it go and enjoy. You're listening to Where You Are. I'm Michelle Horn. Co-hosting with me today is Bryn Asquith. Coming up, we'll bust some common myths and misconceptions, including what is the actual link between sugar and hyperactivity? I think that a lot of families, when they sit down for meals, the the conversation tends to gravitate towards what people are eating or eating more. What would you recommend in terms of how they can be more enjoyable and for families? So kids, um, they don't tend to do very well with being told how much to eat or to eat more, to eat less. Uh, they tend to react the opposite because you maybe they're underweight and they're on an ADHD medication that's causing their appetite to be down, but then they're being forced to eat, then they're going to probably push back and eat less. Same goes if you feel like they're overeating or eating too much and you try and push, then they'll try and get more food in. If you can, take a step back and just talk about other things other than what food's on the table. And can you speak a bit about just family meals in general? How important are they? There's tons of fantastic research on family meals and how important it is for families to get together. Kids do better in school. They learn better. Their language tends to be better when they have meals as a family. There's less eating disorders later in life, less mental health problems later in life. And so those those meal times, it doesn't have to be all the time. The research has even shown that if you can get together once a week at any time of the day as a family to eat together, then that has positive benefit. So whatever you can do. Shar, just looping back to the division of responsibility, we talked about how for our generation that concept is relatively new. Wondering how you got family members on board with you for that, your partner in your household or other extended family members? I actually uh, brought home a pamphlet 
from the Ellen Satter Institute <laughs> for my partner to read about, specifically around eating. So he read through that and he it, it clearly makes sense. And so I'm like, okay. And so I talked to my parents about it as well because they take care of my kids sometimes. But you can tell that they're quite resistant. They're trying their they, they but they're trying. So I think they're not forcing them as much as they would naturally, I think. <laughs> and I do find that other parents judge me sometimes. I can see that see it in their eyes. Yeah. We went to a birthday party. There's a million birthday parties you go to when you have kids, right? So we went to a birthday party on the weekend and at birthday parties there's a lot of food and so what my mentality is is that whatever's there is what you can choose from because I'm not going to limit you at a birthday party as a yeah. celebration but it was interesting because one of the parents was like, "Oh, I don't want to be a tattletale, but he's trying to go back for a cupcake right now." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> and so he is proceeding to walk up to the tiers of cupcakes and then he comes back with a carrot. And she was like, oh, she ca- he came back with a carrot. I was like, I didn't know like what to say. I feel like because I've given him the choice, he's not eager to gorge on the cupcakes. He's not like, every time I see cupcakes, I'm going to eat 10 until my I'm full and I want to vomit. And I think he gets when things aren't feeling well in the stomach because we talk about <laughs> the physical <laughs> sensations of being full. And yeah. it, it's interesting to see it because I know a lot of parents don't do that. Lori, do you see that? Like, do you see that from parents who are resistant to this because it's something new and it just feels a bit unnatural and you first kind of hear about this? How do you kind of get get parents on board to try this out? I think parents get quite quite anxious that their kids aren't going to eat the foods that they want them to eat and they're going to eat too much of the foods that they don't want them to eat. So Mm -hmm. it's a big leap of faith that this is going to work Mm -hmm. for their family. We just talk a lot about when you make foods like desserts out to be this fantastic, wonderful, forbidden thing that your child is just going to want it so much more. And when you force them to eat carrots because they're healthy, then they're going to want to eat them less. So taking a step back and allowing them to have, if you have cupcakes in the house and they're for an afternoon snack and they can have five, well, then maybe they're going to only eat two because they were only hungry for two. But their body is allowing that that process of like what it wants and what it needs taking this approach can help kids to trust their own hunger cues and to be able to develop that that healthy relationship with food for that for the rest of their lives is that kind of the idea yeah and you're trusting your child to know what their body needs and what i'm hearing too from a parent's perspective and almost from what shara is describing from her examples is um being patient with the process oh yes yeah so if this isn't the method that families have started out with. We say it normally takes three months for a child to start listening to their own internal cues and trusting that when you say that they're allowed to have as many as the chips on the table, that they're actually going to be allowed to have as many chips as they want without a look or a comment or... So, yeah, it takes quite a bit of time. But the long-term benefits are well worth it. Sure for you, was, it, was there ever a time that you felt like it wasn't working? And what do you, oh, yeah. do you do? <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I was like jumping in. <laughs> I, yes. I could tell. Yeah. I, uh, Part of the model is talking about regular meal times, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and two snacks. And I found that when my son was at daycare, he would potentially skip his snack because they're playing or doing other things. By the time he got home, it was five o'clock at night. He'd come home starving and demand food. 
and it was really hard for me to like no you need to eat at the times that the food is given and if you don't then you have to wait to the next time and there was very big meltdowns <laughs> <laughs> and so i a few times almost folded I didn't, but it was really, really hard. I think it's a really good, like what you're saying, and there's always that next meal. So it's what you always say to parents, your child, if they're choosing not to eat at this time, maybe because there was way more exciting things happening, Mm -hmm. dinner's in two or three hours, Yeah, and then you can choose to eat then. They're not going to go hungry. Okay. Any other tips for parents if they're wanting to try this out, take the leap, knowing that it does take patience and time for this change to happen? We always say to have one thing on the table that your child will eat. Like maybe bread and butter is something they'll eat. Eventually they'll get sick of it and they'll try the other options. I can hear some parents I know in my parenting circle who would say something like, but what if they're just not getting the nutrients they need? Like that would just stress me out. It is stressful. (laughs) (laughs) I had a child who didn't eat meat for until they were five. (laughs) So you're always wondering what kind of iron are they? Are they getting the iron? Are they getting the nutrients that they need? It is hard and we say try not to worry about it. You can give them a multivitamin. And then you have to just trust the process. And if there's any major concerns, then you go see your doctor or you can go and see a dietitian. Okay. And when yeah. would parents know when when is a good time to seek out additional support? I think if your child is eating like five foods or they have whole food groups that they're not consuming, then it would be good to go and see a doctor. If you think that they're not growing properly, obviously go see your doctor and get them checked out. Mm-hmm. What are your top tips for talking about food? For families to help their children develop a healthy, lifelong relationship with the food that they eat. Try not to categorize food as healthy and unhealthy or good and bad. We try and talk about all food. It gives us different nutrients to keep our body strong. Try not to talk about your weight because the kids, your kids love you no matter what. And to talk about weight or dieting, they're going to get stressed about food and eating food. And we don't want that say nice things about your body, whether you believe them or not, (laughs) and talk about food in a really positive manner. If you're telling your kids to eat vegetables because they're healthy, they might not. Whereas if you talk about it as being something that's delicious, fun to eat, then there's a way better chance that they're going to end up liking them and then enjoying them. I really like those adjectives about describing the food, like tasty or delicious, or that's a really neat strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shar, does any of that resonate with you in terms of how you talk about healthy eating and food in your family? Yeah, I also don't talk about any good food or, or bad food specifically. We talk about where food comes from often. We talk about having different types of textures and colors and flavors. And he thinks everything's spicy. If it's sweet, it's spicy. If it's spicy, it's spicy. <laughs> it's just spicy is the word for it being tasty or has like mm. a flavor. Maybe I'll try to teach you more words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what Lori was saying in terms of body image, I, I find it hard as well because Although I don't comment about size, weight, amount of food that we're eating, a lot of people around us do that. I can only do so much, right? Yeah, that happens all the time with my kids. (laughs) And they're hearing lots of different information. They're getting different education in school that maybe isn't how I would teach. So we just have a very, hopefully, good relationship where they come home and they ask is this okay? Like they talked, a lot of people are talking about sugar is really bad for you. Like, well, sugar is the source of energy in your body. Actually, Laura, you started hitting on some common myths and misconceptions that we hear out there. So let's just loop back to the sugar and hyperactivity one for a second. How much is cause and effect? 
the biggest myth that I hear the most frequently. They've done some amazing research and sugar does not cause hyperactivity. So it's what we would call like the Halloween syndrome or birthday party syndrome, where kids are very excited and hyper because of the activity that's happening. So they've done some super fun research where they've given kids, told parents the kids have sugar when they didn't and then got the parents to rate how hyperactive their kids are. And the parents, if they think they've had sugar, will rate them as being very hyperactive. Doesn't cause hyperactivity. It's a massive myth. Yeah, on the weekend, we went to this giant indoor playground and they just like ran in circles for like two hours. What do you expect them to be like after? They probably will either be super, super like excited or gonna pass out, so. We get some other questions at the Kelty Centre. So another common question we get asked is about special diets for particular mental health conditions. Any advice on this? There's lots out there on different diets for different mental health disorders. There isn't any good evidence yet supporting any of these diets. Like one of the more common ones would be like gluten-free, casein-free in autism. The most recent evidence is saying, no, it probably doesn't work. But we always say to families, if you want to try it, give it a go. Talk to a dietitian, make sure that your child isn't missing out on any major nutrients. Another myth that sometimes gets brought up is questions around good food and bad food. I know you spoke about that a little bit earlier when you were talking about the language and how to talk about food. Mm -hmm. Is there any evidence to that around good foods and bad foods? I mean, I guess I would probably be a really bad dietitian if I said there weren't good foods and bad foods. There's foods that are better for you than others. Unprocessed foods are going to be more healthy for you, but obviously we're going to use a frozen pizza sometimes. I struggle with that too within my family. They'll come home on Valentine's Day with a million of those little suckers, right? That are just (laughs) horrible. And so I don't want to be like, it's fine. It's good. There's no good food or bad food. Eat 20 of those horrible suckers. Michelle, I so appreciate your candor because I know many listeners were out there probably thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty relaxed dietitian, so I normally say like those foods might give you some temporary energy because there's some sugar in them and that's our energy source for our body. But I'm probably not going to tell anybody that they're healthy or good for them. And just don't make a big deal about it. I think that's all the questions we have before we wrap up. Do either of you have any kind of final thoughts or words of wisdom that you wanted to share? Well, for me, I think it's going to be hard to start with, like any change that you make in your life. Don't stress out over these meltdowns that may happen, but just keep trying. And and I think the main thing I'm trying to do is not change my life too much. Don't try to make all these separate things for your kids. Like Make things that we all might like parts of, like what Lori yeah. was saying. They'll eat something out of what you're making. You might need to have a family meeting and sit down and say things are changing and explain it to your child what's happening and why you're doing it. But try and relax through the process. And I have a lot of friends and family members who say that life just became so much more relaxed and enjoyable when they were able to have calm family meal times. So it should be something that works well in the end, but give yourself time. And if families do want to learn more about Ellen Satter, the Division of Responsibility, where where could they go to learn more about this? There is a website that Ellen Satter has on the Division of Responsibility. You could just Google those things. And Dietitians of Canada, there's good information on unlockfood.ca. Oh, wonderful. And we'll put links to all of those on our site as well. Absolutely on the podcast episode page, for sure. Thank you so much, Shar and Lori, for joining us today. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me.
I'm the little one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Bryn, for co-hosting this episode with me on healthy eating. And thanks so much to our listeners as well. This episode of Where You Are is brought to you by BC Children's Kelty Mental Health Resource Center. You can find the resources mentioned in this episode at keltymentalhealth.ca. Questions or comments about today's episode? Email us at keltycenter at cw.bc.ca. For more episodes of Where You Are, go to keltymentalhealth.ca slash podcast and hit subscribe. Or find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We hope you'll make us your go-to resource to promote your family's mental health and wellness from where you are to where you want to be.